Hey, welcome, my friends, to Faith Brook. I'm Pastor Jim. So good to have you worshiping with us today. Some of you are watching online as you travel. Some of you right here in person. Well, I'm not here. I'm actually in Montana as we are visiting our oldest son and daughter-in-law. But we're glad that you're here worshiping with us. Now, if this is your first or second time, we are so happy that you are checking us out. We know that it can always be kind of risky to check out a new place, but we would love to give you a thank you note for being our guest today. Uh, so in front of you, there is a blue card. If you wouldn't mind trusting us with your contact information, your name, uh, uh, email, or phone number, we would love to just get a note out to you to say thanks. Uh, if you have any needs or questions, we also, for every card that we receive, we make a small donation to our local food shelf. So just place your blue card in the offering box on the way out and we will get back to you. Now, most of you know that we are coming to the end of the summer here in Minnesota. And before we know it, it's September. Well, every September, Faithbrook does a major kickoff Sunday. It's one of the most exciting Sundays of our year. It's going to be September 18th. And we're gonna be starting off a brand new series that 18th called Finding the Best You. It's gonna be transformational and we want you to be thinking and praying about who you can invite for September 18th, our kickoff Sunday. We're, we will not only have the beginning of that series, but we're also bringing in some food trucks and some bouncers for kids and activities. It's gonna be one of the best Sundays of our year. So if you would invite, but also if you would be willing to maybe volunteer to help that be an awesome Sunday. We need a few people that would just kind of uh, do some chores and roam around and greet people to make it a really cool Sunday. So if you'd be willing for that one Sunday to uh, volunteer to help around here, all you need to do is take the red card out in front of you. Um, our next step, just give us your name and on that card it talks about volunteering on a team or you can just write in, hey, uh, kickoff Sunday and we'll get back with you how you can help us make that Sunday one of the best Sundays of the year. We are coming to the conclusion of our summer series called The Unsung Heroes. Uh, we get a chance to listen in to our youth pastor, Brendan Burnt. And so would you welcome him to the stage? God bless. Seventeen years ago, I was in third grade. For some of you, that doesn't seem very old that I am right now. And for some of you, you can't imagine being 25 years old. But I was your typical third grade kid. Uh, my parents can attest to this. I loved destroying the house by playing anything Star Wars, Transformers, and got Power Rangers banned out of my house for the very reason. My recesses and times with friends were spent imagining that we were in adventures untold. At the start of my third grade year, one of my friends from kindergarten onward and I were playing World War II fighter pilots on the swings that you could go a full 90 degrees upon and you could come down and you feel the swing hit under your butt. It was awesome. I love those swings. And they took them down a couple years after we did that. But this particular day was one of the first days of school. And this new kid that we had never met before kind of comes up to the base of the swings as we're going 90 degrees, almost kicking this kid in the face. And he asks us what we're doing. So we obviously tell him, we paint the beautiful picture, and he says, I want in. So we say, jump on the swing next to us. And we're there, what feels like hours was probably realistically only 10 minutes. 
We get done with that imagination and that, that play. And all of a sudden, my friend hops off the swing. And there's, there's this new kid and I who are just kind of standing there. So I introduce myself. I'm like, hi, I'm Brendan. And his name is Jake. Now, for third graders, there's a couple things that you absolutely do not admit to. And the number one, at least when I was in third grade, was you do not admit who is the cutest girl on the playground. <laughs> and so what does this Jake do? But he asks me, who do you think is the cutest on the playground? So naturally, as a third grade, I shouldn't trust him, but I do. And so I proudly point her out, say, that's where she is, and he agrees. He's like, me too. And I'm like, great, we have this epic secret that we share together until I see him running over to her, tapping her on the shoulder, and proceeding to tell my deep, dark secret, which it was met with some apathetic oz, but a lot of ews. Well, in third grade, once your secret is told, you know what you do. You wrestle the person. So I took off after him, but I am an asthmatic. And he is a short kid and was even shorter back then. And I could not catch him to save my life. Well, I got into class that day and it turns out he was joining my third grade class. And he was about the only person I knew in there because the rest of my friends were scattered around the other teachers. So over that year, the trust that was broken right away slowly healed and formed itself up and... Little did we know we were 16 years old and getting driver's licenses. We were buying first cars, fixing first cars. And he became one of my closest friends through thick and thin of 17 years. I had the privilege uh, last October when I got married to my amazing wife to have Jake stand with me. And this is a photo of the two of us at the wedding. I, I wish I had a photo of third grade us to compare, but we didn't really get a friend photo until about sixth grade. So the... the, the grow up is uh, not evident on the screen. But you know, as I'm telling the story of Jake, one of my closest and dearest friends, I'm sure it brings back to your memory, a close and dear friend from childhood, from middle school, from high school, even from college or adult life for some of us. And we think about those stories like I have with Jake, chasing him on the playground after him telling that big dark secret of mine. But we have stories like those that make us think, yeah, you're my friend. Because at the end of the day, nobody really wants to go through life alone. You see, between the friends we make and the families that we're given, we are born for connection. Well, welcome, as I finish up our series, Unsung Heroes. Uh, we've been looking at stories that I like to say are things you've either heard from Sunday school or you've never heard, because these heroes aren't the ones that are talked about Sunday mornings all the time. But what God does with a hero big or a hero small it doesn't matter because the impact in the kingdom of God is still great, no matter how many verses in the Bible were dedicated to them. And today we're going to talk about Jonathan, the best friend of King David. Now, King David was arguably one of the greatest heroes in the Old Testament, if not the number one guy. When you look to the Old Testament, some people who've been in church their whole lives, we think King David. You see, what David did was he was known as a man after God's own heart. And God said that about him himself. He led the nation of Israel as the second king to become a complete nation where they took the whole promised land that God had promised to them. And David grew them to be a nation of significance in their day. But David actually wouldn't have been king if it weren't for Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. Now, before we get to David and Jonathan, we have to talk about something that's very important. And that's our needs. A guy named Abraham Maslow a couple hundred years ago did a lot of social experiments and studies on us as humans, and he found what he created, the hierarchy of needs. Is it accurate? To a degree, yes. 
Because what we find is at the base of this hierarchy are the very core needs, what we would consider survival needs. Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have food, water, shelter? And once those survival needs are met, then we can start moving on and growing as people. And the next one on top of that are the safety needs. For us nowadays, safety looks a lot different because back in David's day, back in Jonathan's day, they were more concerned about wild animals and getting raided by other tribes. Nowadays, we don't have to worry about that quite as much. We're worried about, do we have safety in our jobs? Do we have safety with enough money in the bank to pay the mortgage or the rent? We look for safety in body, that our fight or flight response is not triggered. We don't go to places that are uncomfortable and feel dangerous because we simply don't want to put ourselves in that position. But we also look for safety in people and that we want to feel safe around the people that we have. And that brings me to the third tier of Maslow's hierarchy, which is love and belonging. Arguably, what I think is those three core needs are what can build us to become people who achieve our goals, to get after things. We all have dreams and challenges in life, but without the base of those three, we can't go to the dreams. And when it comes to love and belonging, that's the one that a lot of us get hung up on quite often. You see, we're wired to belong. We're wired to be in community. We want a group of people who sometimes we have things in common with, but even if we don't, people that we can ultimately connect with and that they'll love us and go through life with us. Sometimes we find that in our immediate households, sometimes in our extended families, and sometimes in the friends that we make along the way. But we all want a place to belong. And let's be honest, we go to great lengths to find it. Most of who we are is wrapped up in belonging to a community and chasing after love. There are communities in the world that are really good at loving, accepting, and taking people just as they are. And no wonder why a lot of people are drawn to them. And at times, they're not drawn to the church because the church doesn't always reflect that. You see, when it comes to us being wired for connection with other humans, I can't just point at somebody in this crowd or online and say, hey, I want to deeply connect with you today. Because for some of us introverts, that's about the most terrifying thing in the world. For us extroverts, we're feeling like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. But you see, in life, we can't always just pick random people to connect with. We already have circles that we are in now in life. And there are three of them. There's the outer circle, the middle circle, and the inner circle. The outer circle would be what we would call associates, the people you work with, the neighbors on your street, the people that you complain about how the Vikings lost yesterday, or if we get in reality, we complain about the bitter winters and the hot summers, and we love the two months that are beautiful here in Minnesota for weather. These are the people that the connection isn't really emotional. It's just, I know of you. I've heard of your accolades. I know kind of who you are. But then we get to the middle circle, and those are the people that we would consider friends. Now, these might be those childhood, those lifelong friends that we've built, or even adult friends that we've made along the way, but those friends we share some of our emotional trauma with. We go through life. They're with us in the highs. They're with us in the lows. These people, we're willing to cry around sometimes, but not all of them. There are some friends that I have that I don't share everything with, not because I don't want to, but because there's also a level of trust that needs to be built in these relationships. And for the middle circle, you have some trust with people, but not total trust sometimes. And that's what the inner circle is for. The inner circle is 
the one to five closest people who you drop your guard the most around. These are the people that if you get a job offer going somewhere, you are calling them first. These are the people that if something bad happens, they're the first ones you call. These are the people that you would bear your soul to and look for their advice in life to help reach your goals. You see, because we are, have goals in life that we need support to reach. And these are really sometimes specific. Our goals sometimes are financial, getting out of debt, helping the kids go to college, setting up for retirement. Sometimes there's physical. We want to train to make our bodies stronger, to get better, so that we can be healthier and live a whole longer life. There's a career goals. There are friends of mine who are in job coaching right now, and it puzzles me because sometimes when I do this, I just call another pastor and we end up just talking to one another for hours, and that's my job coaching. There's mental health goals. At the end of the day, we've walked through a lot in life that we need sometimes to bounce off of somebody and be able to process us. So we seek counselors and professionals to help us get there. But with those goals that we need support to reach, we can get specific job coaches. However, there's nothing better than that inner circle group of friends or those friends that you have that are willing to go through life with you, support you, and help you chase those goals. You see, David, he never had a goal to be king. In fact, in order to get to David, you have to talk about King Saul, the father of Jonathan. Now, Saul was only king because the people of Israel for a couple hundred years were begging God to give them a physical earthly king. For a long time, the people of Israel, their king was God. And it's a little hard to be ruled by somebody that you can't see. The people of Israel were struggling to have that connection with their ruler and their leader. And so what happens here is they keep begging God and he says, I'll give you a king. And so he anoints Saul, who as the Bible describes, he's a whole head taller, so he looks like a king. Back in the day, you needed, you needed to be a fierce warrior, a, ba a battle-minded person. You needed to be a strategist in war, and that's what Saul was. And he was a good king for a while. There's no doubt about that. Saul was faithful until he started to go off the rails a little bit. The power got to his head. He started to blend the role between king and high priest, which in the Israel at the time was a big, absolutely, you do not do that kind of thing. So when Saul started blending these lines and God saw that Saul's heart was more obsessed with power than it was leading people, God decided it was time to give the blessing of kingship to David. Now in the middle of all that, is Jonathan. Jonathan is one of the sons of King Saul. So naturally, Jonathan has the lineage in order to eventually take over the kingdom from his dad when his dad passes away. Jonathan is being prepared for the kingship. He's a good warrior. He's a compassionate person. He's being raised up as a leader in the middle of this. And what happens when Jonathan meets David, the first interaction they have, they connect deeply. The Bible doesn't go to what depths that they connected or they talked to each other, but it was this moment where they knew that they were going to be good friends, and they made a pact, a covenant, on their first meeting with each other, a covenant that Jonathan upheld many times along the way. You see, King Saul liked David until he learned what David was actually there to do and eventually take over from him, and Saul wanted him dead. Saul did not want his power to be contested. He became so power obsessed. What happened was he was trying to eventually kill David. And really quickly, I'm going to tell you the first attempt at uh, David's life, which at the end of the day, it was a conversation 
with David's best friend, Jonathan, who is also one of Saul's most trusted confidants. He's talking to his son. He's like, you know, if we want our kingdom and our lineage to go, we have to get this David guy out of the way. And Jonathan, he has an opportunity here to, eventually, to potentially say, yeah, dad, let's do it. But he thinks back to the covenant vows that he made as a friend with David. And he says, dad, no, no, no. What is David doing wrong right now? He's supporting you. He's in your army. He's fighting for you. He helps, he's helping drive the Philistines out of the land so that we can have it as the people of Israel, the people of God. And Saul realizes, you know, you're right, Jonathan. You're right, son. And so for a little bit, things are okay between Saul and David and Jonathan until one day Saul gets possessed by an evil spirit and David is playing the harp to soothe Saul as he did very commonly, actually. And Saul takes the spear and throws it at David, barely missing him. So David flees. And the next day, David calls a meeting with Jonathan in the fields beyond the city that they're staying in. And David is perplexed. He doesn't know why Saul would try to kill him. He doesn't know what is that. He thought everything was good from the last thing Jonathan said. So he confronts his friend and says, why? I thought we were good. Like, I thought your dad was okay with me. So what they do is Jonathan says, hang on now. He was. I don't really know what's going on, but tomorrow we have a big feast. And I'm going to ask him tomorrow at this feast, what's going on? In the middle of that, David is nervous. He's scared for his life. So he wants Jonathan and him to re-up this promise to each other that we see in the book of 1 Samuel. And it says this, verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Not the person of David. Not just David himself, but David was married. David had servants. David had a whole house to protect Jonathan says to David in that, I love you so much, I'm going to actually make it with your whole house and look out for every last one of them. And he makes a covenant saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Now covenants back in Israel's day aren't taken lightly. The very basic definition of a covenant is two people make a promise and they say, I'm so intent to keep this promise that let's, we're going to put God as our witness. And as God is our witness, if I break this covenant or you break this covenant, I'm going to let God deal with you. Covenants were not taken lightly. And we don't make them as friends today. The most common thing we see is marriages. I have been to, I think I'm, I've lost track. I'm either at four or five weddings this summer alone. And I've seen plenty of people go before God with an officiant and all the witnesses there. And they make this covenant that I'm going to love you, to have and to hold in sickness or in health till death do us part. And that's what we do when we get married. We make this covenant promise that is so serious that we, husbands and wives, are giving this, hey, I'm bringing God into the middle of this, and I'm saying, if I break this, let God deal with me. But we don't make those kind of promises with our friends. Back in third grade, I remember the most serious promise you could give was the pinky promise. I remember there was two people that I was friends with, one of whom gave pinky promises for everything, to filling up bottles of water, to anything else you could imagine. And eventually, if you give enough pinky promises that are broken, you're known as somebody who people can't trust. But if you keep your pinky promises, then people are like, you know, you can trust him. I made a pinky promise to that person. They're going to keep their word. 
but we don't make covenant promises, but we still hold truth as a very high component in our friendships and honesty. And that's what David and Jonathan are doing here. So Jonathan and David part ways, and the next day comes along, and it says this in verse 27. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered this, let David, David earnestly ask me for permission to go to Bethlehem, he said. Let me go, for our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul, his response is this. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone here to bring him to me for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done, Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. That's a pretty serious response. That tells Jonathan everything he needs to know about his dad's heart. That he doesn't care about the relationship that Jonathan has with him. He doesn't care for David. He is so power obsessed that he's gonna kill David. When they set up the covenant, to make sure that David would get out alive. They had a sign, and the sign would be this. They would meet in the same field, and they would shoot an arrow. Jonathan would shoot an arrow, and if it went past David, and he told the, the page who was collecting these arrows to go past the boulder and go farther, that meant that David had to run away. But if he said, oh, it went to the side, it meant that Jonathan had known it was all clear and that David could come back to the city. So the next day comes around, Obviously, Jonathan shoots this arrow and it flies beyond and he tells the page, go and go farther. And when the page collects the arrows and he leaves, Jonathan calls David out and this is the interaction they have in verse 41. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. See, there's something really important here is that David bows before Jonathan. Back in that day, you just didn't bow before anybody. You bowed before your kings and you bowed before the gods that you worshiped. But David is in such a life that to Jonathan here that he, out of pure respect, bows to his friend saying, you have done me the highest honor. In verse 42, this is what it says. Jonathan said to him, go in peace. For we've sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. What the Bible won't tell you there and what you have to read through 1 Samuel to find out is that is the last time David and Jonathan have a written interaction in the Bible. Because later down the line, obviously, with the favor of the kingship upon David, Saul is eventually driven out. There's battles that Saul gets into. And his last battle, Jonathan, is alongside his father. And they both get killed. 
It's never written that David and Jonathan have another interaction, but as a friend, Jonathan does the highest honor for David. Their last interaction is him saving his life. Now, that's a little drastic for some of us in today's world. We don't necessarily have these life-saving opportunities for our friends all the time. We don't get to tell them, hey, your dad's going to kill you, by the way, so I'm telling you to get out of town. That's not something that we have today, but we can look at the story of Jonathan and we can see the story of not just an associate, not just a friend, but an inner circle true friend. And this is what Jonathan can teach us. There's three things. And the first one is this, true friends help. For David and Jonathan, that was saving David's life repeatedly. That was being with him. That was caring for him. For us nowadays, we like to be very independent in this world. We like to admit that we can do it on our own and that we don't need anybody else around us. But at the end of the day, we're wired to have a network of people around us who love us and care for us and who are friends. And that help can go as little as mowing somebody's grass, taking them out to dinner, grabbing coffee. Could be as a, a simple of a chore as, hey, I just need this thing moved. Can you come over and help me move the couch? True friends are willing to help. The second thing we can learn from Jonathan is this, that true friends are honest. Now, like I said, covenants aren't just struck up in between people willy-nilly nowadays. No, covenants are very serious. But what Jonathan does is he shows the example of keeping the promises that you make to your friends, but also being willing to tell them the hard truth. See, Jonathan could have sugarcoated what his dad was saying to David. He could have said it more plainly. He could, have, he could have covered it up a little bit, but he came out and said, no, dude, you gotta go. Whatever the cost, you gotta get out of here because I love you. I'm telling you the truth. True friends are honest. They call us out when we get sometimes too much in our own heads. True friends are willing to be there and be honest with us, whatever the circumstance. And the last one is that true friends look out for your needs. Obviously, Jonathan was looking out for David's life, but he was also a person that was looking out for Jonathan's well-being. To, or Jonathan was looking out for David's love, for his relationship side of David. He was allowing David in that last moment together to have a moment where they were just processing. David wept the most. He must have been distraught to learn that he had to run away from his friend, from his home, from everything that he knew to save his life. And Jonathan doesn't try to give consolation. They weep together. They're processing it together. Best friends help. Best friends are honest. And best friends look out for our needs. You see, Jonathan just didn't model a great way for us to be true friends. See, Jesus knows all about the story of Jonathan. In fact, in John 15, Jesus Christ says this. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. At the end of the day, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus and we follow and we love him, he, yes, he's our savior. Yes, he's our Lord. Yes, he's our God. But he also wants a thriving friendship with us too, where we spend time. I know I call, one of, I call Jake at least once a week, or I try to. I'll be very honest there. I try to. But with God, do we even spend 10 minutes a day with him? Building that relationship, spending time with him. Because that's really what God wants, is he wants us to be close to him. He wants to be in that inner circle of people 
Or when we're on the mountaintops, we're not just praising with other people. We're turning to him and saying, thank you, God, for this. But then also when it hits the lows, we can go to God and say, hey, God, I need you. And I need you here in this valley. And I don't know how I'm going to get out of it, but I know that you're going to be with me. Just like a faithful friend, God is faithful to us. It comes down to being a true friend to people. Not to everybody we meet in the world. It's very hard to do that. I'm looking out at the faces here and I'm thinking, I don't know if I would actually have enough human time possible to be true friends to every single one. But it's to pick a few people in your life and to be true friends to. But sometimes, and the bottom line today is this, that finding a true friend takes being a true friend. Being a true friend is somebody who does life with you, somebody who speaks truth into your life, somebody who cries with you, somebody who encourages you, they're honest with you. You just do random things in life together with. These are people that you can just go along and as you are going, they will build you up, they will point you to Jesus and they will be the ones to help you see him when sometimes you can't. True friends sometimes are rare to find. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes we need to find them. We need to be them. What do I mean by being a true friend? Obviously, what I just said. But if you can't, if you don't think you have somebody in your life that's a true friend to you, I want to encourage you to look to your circles and ask the question, who needs a true friend? I guarantee you, you can think of one or two people or you can maybe think of the distant fringe people that you see in your life that kind of have nobody. Maybe they're the ones at the water cooler alone, the ones who go to breaks alone at work. Maybe they're the people who just kind of do life and they're not really in community, at least as you can see. All it takes is just reaching out to them. All it takes is just a check-in, a hi, how you doing today? Hey, can I sit here for lunch? Hey, can I just check in with you? Do you need anything at the house? What can I do for you? Maybe you find that those people really do need true friends. And along your search to be a true friend, the true friends that God has for you will be revealed. Because when we can't find them in our own lives, I encourage you to look to your friend circle. I encourage you to look at the people that you've been doing life with. I know it feels like you are alone, but at the end of the day, none of us are. And there's a community out there who wants to walk alongside you. And maybe they're sitting in that friend circle. Maybe they're there. Maybe you need to invite them into that inner circle where they can speak love and truth and peace and life that comes from Jesus to you. My challenge is pretty simple this week. How can you be a true friend? Maybe if you have a true friend, you can identify them, you're thinking about them. As I talk about Jake, I think, oh, I really I need to call him after we're done with this and thank him for letting me use part of this story. Maybe you've had a friend you haven't called in a week, two weeks, a year. Maybe it's time to call that person and thank them. Just check in with them. How are they doing? And if you say, I don't have true friends, Brendan, well, I'm going to tell you this, then check in with those in your life that you believe need true friends. Give them a call. Ask to take them out to coffee. Ask to hang out. Ask to just help them. Because finding a true friend takes being a true friend. You see, Jake and I did not have a perfect story growing up. We had two really nasty fallouts, actually. The second one 
came on the heels of, it's been so many years I can't remember, honestly. But I remember there was one day that it was raining outside. It was in the spring. And Jake calls the house phone. I hadn't spoken to him for a couple weeks. We were mad at each other. I couldn't tell you for what, but he calls me and says that somebody in his family has died. And he knew that no matter what we went through, he knew that I, could be, I was a true friend to him and that he knew I would pick up that phone and I'd sit with him in that moment and I'd cry with him and I would weep with him and be there for him. At the end of the day, that's what true friends are all about. I want to encourage you guys, as the community of God, as the church, that's what we should be about. Wouldn't it be beautiful to see the community of Faithbrook being true friends to other people, reaching out to the new ones who walk in, who are around us in life, and coming alongside them so when we can celebrate, we celebrate together, and we can weep together in the moments that are hard. I want to leave you with that encouragement that being a true friend is just part of how Jesus called us to live. And it's a powerful part of it. Because Jesus loved us so much He died for us, and he left that example, and Jonathan left his example for us. So will you stand with me this morning as I dismiss you, and we're going to pray together as we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. God, I want to thank you for all the wonderful lives, all the wonderful stories of friendship that are in this room, watching online, watching later. Thank you for them. Lord, I want to pray that you help us to become true friends to people. If we feel like we've got nobody around to us as true friends, help us to realize that we've got you and that we do have people in those other circles who we could invite into that relationship. And Lord, if we place our trust in you, you will help us along the whole way. Help us to recognize, appreciate, and to love our true friends. Lord, I pray if we're hurting, if we've got some tensions right now in those friendships. So would you allow us to forgive, to heal? Will you walk with us along those processes, Jesus? And help us be the community of you where we can be a group of people that exemplify what it looks like to be true friends and what it looks like to love like you first. Be with these good people as they go. Amen.